and we're live there it is what up ladies and gentlemen economic times are changing military people still need to be able to buy a house got va questions let's find out shut up and sit down the business bros podcast was created for you learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories find out what's working in business on social media what's hot and what's not straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work and now welcome to another episode of business, business Bros. <laughs> what up, eventually we'll get gents. that right 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 <laughs> hey, before you get started with the intro i got some uh thank yous to shout out is that cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's do it shout them out shout them out all right first of all Thank you to the Jaffe's, uh, Richard and, Car and Charlie. Both of them were on the show. They sent us a copy of their book and what? a poetry book that Richard had written in the past. So thank you guys very much. And then awesome. uh, another shout out. Uh, I'm part of the 5 a.m. club, the Justice League. And one of our uh, our, our trade and true leader is uh, Eric Gilman. And he sent over a business bros oh! knife. Oh, snap. That's super that is dope. awesome. So those That's of you cool. in the real estate business, there is no better knife than a Cutco knife. So, you know, big shout out to, to Eric and Justice League 5 a.m. Club. Whoop, whoop. And uh, he truly made it one of the best days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that is too cool. Too cool. Well, uh, now it is time for the intro really quick. So let me uh, let you all in on a little secret on who today's guest is. Today's guest has been around the real estate industry basically his entire life. The son of a real estate agent, our guest began his career in 2001 and, while simultaneously serving our country as an Air Force staff sergeant and helping over 1,100 families achieve home ownership, he's been nationally ranked as a VA loan expert. Today, we get to learn from a true professional and expert in his field, so without further ado, get ready to connect with the host of the Armed and Ready podcast, Air Force veteran and mortgage broker with American Mortgage Network and the VA loan guy, Mr. Jason Wood. Finally got that, that clap track going. Yes. Finally got the clap track going. Whoop, whoop. I almost messed it up too and didn't click it on time. Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. That's a heck of an intro. I love it. Hey, I just stole it off from all your uh, various websites and social medias. You know, did a little bit of research, stalked you a little bit. That's how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that means that means you've done a good job of branding yourself and having your presence around the web. That's I right. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's it's definitely intentional. That's for sure. Um, there you go. On that. So I got, tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself, Jason. What's some cool stuff? I mean, aside from the intro stuff, how'd you get into this whole business? You know, it's kind of a funny story. It was totally by accident. Um, <clears throat> so I was wrapping up my last year of college and uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers got hooked up with a friend who was in the mortgage business. And they asked me if I wanted to make some extra money, they were killing it. And, you know, of course we we're a broke college kid. So I'm like, money, I'm a broke college kid. Yeah, sounds good. Sign me up. So, um, we just started kind of cold calling leads after school, you know, and we, we ended up building an office together and it was, you know, the first couple of years, there was five or six of us, all fraternity brothers working together, doing loans. And it was complete animal house. It really was, but, um, it was totally by accident. I mean, we would show up to school, you know, our last semester of college and 
you know, going to biology class or whatever, wearing a shirt and tie and, you know, everyone else is looking at us like we're funny, but you know, we're going from class to go meet with a client to sign paperwork. And, um, and that's how it started. And a bunch of us are still, there's probably about four of us left from that core group that are still in the business kind of scattered into different markets now. Um, but that's how it happened. And it was totally by accident. There was no intention behind it. I mean, my, my goal in life was to be a fighter pilot and fly commercial airlines. And, um, so stepping into the mortgage business wasn't even on the radar. You deviated a little bit. A little <laughs> you, bit. you stayed a little grounded there. No, yeah. you know what? It's, it's funny. Uh, I, when I was going to, to school, I actually dropped out of college, uh, about two and a half years into it because I started a business. I thought I was top dog and I was like, ah, who needs this education thing? Right. Uh, when I went back, finally, after my first business venture failed, I went back to school and I didn't sign up for courses in the morning. I signed up for them in the afternoon. And I realized the morning courses, this is where all the young kids are going. They're like in their, I was going to San Diego State at the time. I was like, hey, this is the board shorts and the jammas to class and the flip flops. You go to school in the afternoon and then that's where all the uh, older people were going to school, right? <laughs> and then they were getting stuff done after, you know, after their morning job. Um, but having that dynamic of, you know, wearing that suit and tie, it's almost like, uh, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of matured in a bit, you were like, yeah, I'm going to school. I'm going to finish this thing that I started. But at the same time, I found a way to not be broke, to have something that I control on my own time. I'm choosing to wear this because I'm a professional now, even though I haven't quite finished my college degree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, it was interesting, you know, probably at the time I, I wasn't realizing exactly what I was doing because I was just, you know, a college kid making some extra money. And, you know, it, it's not that I had a great grasp or understanding of the business at that point. But, um, you know, lo and behold, it did turn into a career. Um, but for, you know, a couple of years there, while I was still in being a newbie to the mortgage business, um, my focus still, even at that point, a year or two in was not to continue in the business, it was, you know, to go pursue flying. And that was, that was my passion at the time. And, um, so, you know, I was taking my private pilot's license and, and doing lessons and flying little Cessnas and things like that. And, and just really striving towards that. And, and this was just something I was doing to pay bills at the time. Um, but you know, it obviously it evolved and grew and, you know, I've been doing it since Oh one now. So, you know, went through the, the rise and the crash and, and now through this whole COVID thing. So, you know, it's, I've seen some cycles. So, uh, what made you stay? So you've seen some cycles. In other words, you've gone through the ups and downs at the down point where we're at now for a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of people in the real estate space who haven't been in the business for more than a few years. They've only been selling in an up market. We're about to hit a nice little turnaround here where things are changing. You're in the loan business. Uh, you can tell me a little bit about the criteria, how that's changed in the last two months. Uh, compared to where we were before. And what are you seeing as far as your peers in the industry? Yeah, really good question. So I'd say, you know, the main reason for me sticking into it is, um, you know, I really developed um, an understanding and a passion for um, focusing on the VA loan, you know, as I market myself, but really serving the military community. I've, I've always, since I was a kid, just had this total passion for our military. And, um, even though I didn't do a full career of 20 years in the military, that's just always where my heart has been at. And so when I finally kind of awoken to the fact that, you know, hey, I've been in the business for a while now and this is developing into a career, I probably need to put a little more intention behind it rather than just being so transactional, which is 
you know, all I was the, the first years. Um, so really pursuing that passion of helping um, military folk out and, you know, sharing with them, you know, the great wealth building opportunity they have in this loan that only those that serve the military have access to. Um, that became my passion and that became what drove me because, you know, there, to be quite honest, there was a point in time where, you know, doing a mortgage was not, was not something that drove me anymore. You know, helping another person buy a house or refinance a house wasn't a driver anymore. And so when I finally kind of, um, shifted my focus to focusing more on the military and helping them out, that's what really stirred like my passion and, and drove me. Um, from a multitude of angles, not only to support our military, you know, helping them create wealth, but also there was, and still is, um, a huge gap in knowledge of the VA loan in the realtor community. You know, there's still a lot of realtors out there who, when they're selling a house and they get some offers on it, you know, they're looking down at the VA loan offer. Like, like there's some lower class citizen because they have a loan that doesn't require a down payment. And in all honesty, I mean, I do all loan types, um, but in all honesty, a lot of these military buyers are way more qualified than some of the conventional loan buyers or the FHA loan buyers that I see a lot of these agents accepting offers in place of the VA person. And um, so that became kind of another motivation for me was to help spread the knowledge and, and make sure that our community understands that this loan is is something that was earned it's it's a benefit and it's exclusive right it's not something that everybody gets and just because you know a guy isn't coming in with 20 percent down payment doesn't mean that they're any less of a buyer nine times out that's of not how it works that's not how any of this works <laughs> yeah, i mean nine times out of ten that that va offers stronger the client is stronger and you know, for someone like me, who's, who's really uh, versed in it, you know, we can close faster than, than those other loan types. So there's so many advantages. Um, but, um, you think it's yeah, a, you think it's a stigma of that 100% or like normally when I would get a guarantee on something or like, you know, that, that, that I, I can co-sign, I have a co-signer that's coming into a deal. I know that the person who, who I'm lending money to is good for it. Like usually that's a good thing in a transaction. And that's kind of what's going on here with the VA, right? I mean, they're saying, look, not only is this buyer qualified, you know, the whole U.S. government, you know, the, their actual employer is saying, we got your back if they default. Like, there's a lot more security. Show behind me the money! There's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot more security behind it. There is. Yeah. And I just I, I think sometimes people just get tunnel vision, right? You know, you've got an agent that's maybe a couple of years in and they're selling a house and and they're maybe talking to someone in the office who's been there a while, which is the broker, or maybe just someone who's been in the business a long time. And they go, Hey, I got these three offers. You know, how would you decipher them or whatever? And a lot of times they're getting bad advice. It's not that they're unknowledgeable, but sometimes they're just getting bad advice. Um, and it's just lack of knowledge or fear. You know, there, there was a time and this was a long time ago, but there was a time when the VA loan was the ugly, scary, hairy beast that some people proclaim it to be still. And it was, you know, back in the day, total nightmare to get through. Uh, but it's evolved um, like anything else. And, and now it's, it's the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, uh, having, having misinformation or things that you think are the truth 
You know, that's that's the issue that happens a lot of times in real estate. And we're going to get into a lot of those situations in the coming market, in the change. So right. what you think a short sale is or what you think a foreclosure is or, you know, all these different assumptions on an REO property versus, you know, a traditional sale, like all these little things that are not part of our normal day to day are going to be confused amongst people in the industry. And that's why it's, I think it's vitally important that people like you are out here sharing that information and keeping people afloat with what it actually is. What does a VA loan entail? Who is this person that's that's coming to the table to buy? And why this is, an act, this is a good buyer? This is someone who you should move forward on with this transaction versus, you know, maybe the assumption that somebody else is throwing out there. Yeah, you know, it's... It's when you look at it in this light, it's kind of sad that anybody would not accept a VA offer over another one. But a lot of oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll call the listing agent when my clients are making an offer. And when we get into discussing it, <clears throat> you know, this person who's taking the VA loan, they raised their right hand and swore to give their life for your freedom. You're going to deny that the opportunity to buy this house? Really? Because they don't have a 5% or a 10 or a 20% down payment? It's not because they're not good at saving money. It's not because they don't have good credit scores. It's because they earned this. This is a benefit of theirs, you know? And I think when, when I start talking to people like that, they go, oh, oh shoot. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I better rethink this a little. Yeah, it will, let me ask you this. Closing time, right? Closing time of VA loan versus a conventional loan. Is there a big difference in that? No, there's not. Um, you know, a lot of times the stigma is the fact that, you know, there's a VA appraisal and the VA appraiser is the same appraiser that would appraise on a conventional loan or an FHA loan. They just sought out an additional designation so they can do VA. And the only difference in the VA appraisals versus the other ones is the appraiser has to have his eyes open looking for any sort of health or safety concern in the home. Right. Because the whole pretense of the VA loan is to put, you know, our veteran into a place that's not going to bury them with repair costs or hazards or anything like that. They want to be able to have their family and everybody move in there and just live in their home, not be broke by their home and and have additional expenses or or health related situations. So, you know, in all honesty, every appraisal should be looked at from that purview. Um, but the only things that they're really noticing you know, are just major safety issues, which anybody would notice, even the, you know, in a conventional situation, the home inspection is going to notice most of the things that the appraiser on a VA might call out anyways, you know, if it's some major safety thing or a trip hazard, it's going to get called out and it's going to be an item that has to be dealt with regardless of the loan type. Um, but there is that stigma that um, that inspection is what's going to hold it up. And from a speed standpoint, you know, I can, my record um, for a VA purchase loan from the time we got the contract in till the time we funded that loan was 10 calendar days. There was zero issues with the home. The borrower was on their A game, title, escrow, everybody was on their A game. Now it's rare to have everybody be super sharp like that in a transaction because um, you're only as fast as the slowest link. But the appraiser wasn't delayed. They got out their lickety split, knocked out the report really quick, zero inspection repairs, zero appraisal repairs. The borrower signed everything within a couple hours. If we needed a document, we had it in a couple hours. Everybody was just on their A game. So um, I'm actually closing VA loans faster than the other loan types. 
because um, the loan itself isn't more difficult. In fact, the loan part of it is a little bit easier. There's a couple different steps that you have to know about, but the loan itself is actually a little easier than some of these other programs. See, that's that's one of the I think one of those stigmas that that sticks around is a VA is going to take longer. And yeah, and you're right. The appraisal is a little bit different. But what you clearly justified was your inspection should be looking for that anyways. If you have if you're a seller of a home and you have mold issues, that's something that you need to rectify regardless of who the buyer is going to be. That's something that you need to to get you know, squared away ahead of time. I was always of the of the mindset when I was actively selling was I need to get my seller to have their own inspection. So there are no surprises once you've accepted an offer. You can do this ahead of time and be proactive in what you're doing. It's a couple extra hundred bucks. And sometimes, you know, I would even pay for it myself, but I know what's going to happen. As an as a as an agent, it's much easier to say, look, these are the repairs that need to be done. This is what the inspector found in total. However, this is what could really affect the transaction. Let's make sure we get these squared away or issue credits or whatever the situation would be. But you had to be proactive in this type of, of thing. And it's not the buyer's fault or the loan's fault. It's something that you could have prevented ahead of time. Right. Well, and you know, another way to look at it is if you're the listing agent selling a house, what's your product? The home is your product. The home is your product, right? So if you're not selling a really buyable product that someone is desiring to purchase, how good of a sales job are you doing, right? Um, you know, we live in, in the San Diego area, termites are a prevalent thing. If you're a listing agent, you should probably have a termite inspection done. In fact, there's probably a lot of bug companies that will do it for free in the, in the hopes that if there's repair work, you'll select them to do the repair. So you should have a pest inspection done, not to mention we're in one of the biggest military markets in the country. So we know you're going to get a VA offer probably on that home. So you may as well have that piece completed. Just like you were saying, it's not a bad idea to go ahead and get a home inspector out there if you're the seller, just to make sure there's nothing that's going to be a major thing that comes up. Because what if there is, you know, as the homeowner, you may not be familiar with handyman work or what's going on. So you may not know that you have an issue, but what if there's something super expensive? And you still need to sell your house, but maybe if you knew there was something super expensive at the beginning, you would have some time to address it. So then when you go to market, you're like, hey, this this is an this is a dialed in product. We're gonna sell this product for top dollar because we know there's no issue with it. Tell me a little bit about uh, changes that have happened in the last month or so. I know you guys uh, well, I'll let you tell me. Um, what's it been like? As far as business, are you guys getting flush with refis? Um, how are the rates looking? What are the qualifications now as far as, you know, getting a, a good qualified buyer? Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot of changes lately. Um, and it all started right, right around the time that COVID did, just right before it. We had a major interest rate drop the last week of February, beginning of March timeframe. Um, and rates hit the lowest that they have ever hit. And that sparked a major, major refinance boom. To put that into some perspective, there was a two-week period there. The mortgage industry as a whole took in $2 trillion worth of mortgage applications. In all of 2019, and 2019 was a super good year for the mortgage industry, in all of 2019, we took in $3 trillion worth of mortgage applications over 12 months. So here we got two weeks where we put in $2 trillion. We put in almost a whole year's worth of loans in two weeks um, because of the rate drop. So that created some systemic issues in the mortgage industry. Um, and, and basically I, I kind of give the analogy. It's like 
you had Thanksgiving dinner and you had four helpings of everything. And now grandma's trying to force, you know, another piece of pumpkin pie down your throat. And all you want to do is explode, right? That's, that's kind of what happened to the mortgage industry at that point. And, um, and then you factor in the COVID thing and how the Fed reacted and how the government reacted. And it created um, a lot of fear. And it's also created some, um, some other systemic issues. There is a bit of a liquidity crisis in the mortgage industry. So um, as a result of all the loans coming in from that refi period, we saw lenders artificially raise interest rates just to slow down the incoming applications. Then we saw some other big name banks and stuff start removing loan products off their offering table to slow down the business. Then we had the Fed come in with an emergency rate cut and pump a bunch of money into the system. That spiked a lot of fear. We saw the stock market crash. Um, and that next step of the, the, um, the Fed jumping in with the emergency cut and stuff created the liquidity issues that we um, have seen. And the result of that has been most all lenders have had to increase their minimum credit score requirements. We've seen that go up. Um, We've seen some tightening on debt ratios. We've seen some increased requirements for um, post-close liquidity, meaning just money in the bank after you close. Um, and we've seen the elimination, like some products have completely vanished. There's been a lot of those, what we call non-QM. And for people that are familiar with loans from you know back in the early 2000s, it'd almost be kind of like Alt-A loans. But um, you know, bank statement loans, one day out of foreclosure, one day out of bankruptcy, those that are you know kind of a higher risk most all those companies that offer those are out of business. Um, and, and jumbo loans um, are almost all the way gone too. Uh, and, and they will come back. Um, but that's, it's very, very rare. I spoke to a client the other day who's spoken to several lenders and most lenders have told them they can't even help them. Fortunately, we, we have, like a, a jumbo product that will work for them available still through one of our, our wholesalers, but um, it's, it's slim picking. So it has, it has changed things. There's been a lot of guideline changes and things of that nature um, because now we're, we're faced with this fear of people either having lost their jobs, going to lose their jobs, furloughed, reduced hours, and oh, now you can put your loan into forbearance. So all the mortgage companies are going, whoa, we've got, all these people trying to make loan applications and we have no promise or hope that we're even going to receive a payment in August, you know? Um, so that's, what's created this whole big tightening of everything. So it's, it's been interesting, you know I mean? It's what this has done. And then when you, when you couple that with, you know, the um, social distancing and, you know, um, the COVID thing for, for the agents who now are, it's more difficult to show homes and, and do listings and open houses and all those things like their business has completely changed as a result of all this as well. Um, it, what it's creating is those that know how to really succeed in the mortgage and real estate industry are going to stay in it and they're going to succeed because, you know, we've been, we've been in a bull market for the last several years. So if you weren't having success in the mortgage or real estate industry up until this point, then you should just get out. Um, because everyone was killing it. Um, but now is where the real test is going to come in to those that know how to do the business um, the right way. They're going to stay in and they're going to make it through this and, and come out on top. A lot of potential for aggressive expansion. So let me ask you about 
that whole forbearance thing. So we we know banks are have are going to have liquidity issues. They're worried about it, not just in the sense of all the the mortgage applications, but in the sense of how many people are going to be taking and 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 using that forbearance, which means they're not going to have payments coming in. So liquidity liquidity issues from the bank are going to are going to you know basically dry up a lot of the funds that are accessible for people to make loans. But once the person is ready to refi or once they're ready to go out and buy another home, how's that forbearance going to affect them? So some of it's to be determined. Um, so part of the forbearance package that was put forward by the government um, was with the guarantee that it's not going to negatively impact your credit score. So if you file and you get the forbearance um, approved, your score will remain intact. But what is really unknown is how is that going to be reported on your credit report? And I'm sure that there's going to be a line or an asterisk or something that denotes that you hadn't made a payment for six or 12 months. And the only experience we have to really look back upon is, you know, from like the 08 crisis when we did have a lot of short sales and foreclosures and people who, you know, lost their homes and how that was treated. And so, Many of the experts that I have listened to and, and follow online are saying that we're probably going to see a note on people's credit report that they are currently in forbearance or they were in forbearance in the past. And it's going to affect effectively be a six or 12 month period of no payments. And in the mortgage world, your mortgage payment history is critical to anything. So by filing a forbearance, you're probably at the end of your forbearance period. So say you filed today and you got a 12 month forbearance till May of 2021, then you're probably May of 2022 before you're going to be eligible for any type of mortgage again. It's probably going to be a whole year they're going to want to see of on-time payments. So it's, it's going to put people in a tough predicament. Now, those that are filing the forbearance, they plan to stay in their home for the next five to 10 years. And they have a legitimate reason for having to had sought the forbearance, they're going to, they're going to be okay. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's always a segment of people who are always trying to gain the system and take advantage of things. And I, I've spoken to a couple of people who are like, yeah, I'm a thing. I'm just going to file it. And some of them are active duty. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're getting a paycheck. You don't even have a worry of, of income. This is for people that are in trouble. Um, this is not a vacation from your mortgage payment. Um, you know, this is for people that have, been struck by the economic impact of what this COVID thing is doing to everybody. Yeah, the, it's it's madness uh, all around. Just because we don't actually have answers to a lot of these questions, we're very much kind of taking a guess. And like what you what you were kind of saying, the only thing we have to look back to is something that's similar but not the same. They weren't in forbearance; they were in default, and default is different than forbearance. This right. is actually something that's that's proven that that that's been justified that they said it's okay for you to do however you know you're right it might not affect the credit score number however we don't know if you know in 2021 2022 now the the minimum score to you know get a loan is higher so your score stayed the same but the qualification score can be higher quite possible yeah and and i know that we will have guidelines i don't know what they're going to look like but we will have guidelines that address the forbearance thing and um, we'll have to see how that plays out. But again, you know, for those that don't need it, don't take it. It's, it's not going to put you in a better future position. You, you'll put a couple of bucks in your pocket maybe. But um, long term, I don't, I don't see it being a large benefit unless, you know, unless you're in a situation where 
you did lose a job or you got furloughed or something like that, then absolutely. I mean, you got to keep a roof over your head. You know, this wasn't a fault of your own. This, this whole thing affected everybody differently and in some more extreme than others. So um, we will see, but there's, there's definitely going to be guidelines around it. So let's uh, let's play a little game here. Um, let's rub the crystal ball. Where do you see the real estate market, the mortgage market in the next by by next year, twenty twenty one? Once we get over all this, uh, you know, shelter in place type stuff. Yeah, I think um, I think this fall is going to be a huge um, a huge time for the industry. I think there's going to be a lot of transactions that happen this fall. Um, I think we're going to see the economy start to ramp back up fairly quick. Of course, there's going to be segments of the in, of the economy that are going to take a while, you know, like travel and, and uh, leisure and stuff are going to take a little bit longer to catch back up. But uh, the majority of the economy is going to spike back up. I think we'll see a lot this fall. Um, I think we're going to see this super low interest rate environment um, remain until probably spring of next year. And I think spring of next year is when we start to see um, interest rates slowly tick up. Um, and probably climb from there. You know, I think, um, for the, for the real estate industry, really, you know, we're, we're very spoiled. We've been spoiled since about 2012 with crazy low rates. And of course we hit a a period where they climbed up a little bit, but honestly, you know, these 3% level interest rates are not the healthiest for the industry. We're probably most healthy right around four. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we start to slowly, march towards the four percent range beginning like spring of next year and it will be a slow march i don't think anything will be a knee-jerk reaction that will happen quickly um but i think we're going to see a slow march upwards in interest rates so you know i think for people that recognize that and they will realize that buying a home before then is going to afford you a lot more purchasing power with rates in these historic low positions rather than waiting until you know, next spring or next fall. And I, I know there's a lot of people who are out there thinking, oh, well, the market's going to crash or what about the market? Um, you know, it, the market crashing or not is is not dependent on the economy as a whole as much as it is so much the um, supply and demand of the homes, right? And so we're in a, a shortage of supply. We have been for years. We're going to continue to be in, you know, every market's going to be a little bit different, right? But in the San Diego market, we have, you know, a really diverse economy. There's a lot of military, there's a lot of government jobs, there's a lot of biotechs, you know, so we have, we have a lot of different fields and industries that support this economy with all with high demands for housing and, and housing need. And we can't build homes fast enough in this area to supply it. So we're going to see um, home values maintain. That's a, uh... That's again, and I and I premise this with everybody. That's our assumption. That's a guess. We right. don't actually know what's going to happen, and and that's what I always try to tell people when they when they talk about timing the market. Uh, you can try and time the market as best you can, but the truth of the the matter is, when you get ready to buy, if you can afford the monthly payment, if you if you're in a comfortable position and you're ready to make that purchase, that's the time you make the purchase. And if you're in a position where you need to sell, whether you need to or you want to, you don't realize a gain or a loss until the day that you actually sell the property. So markets will fluctuate. They'll go up, they'll go down, they'll stay stagnant, whatever it's going to be, we don't know. But if you're in a position to refi or buy, because that's what you need to do now and you're in a position to do so, do it. 
if right. you're, you know, and if you're trying to time the market, good luck. I wish you the best. And you, you know, money has been made on, on the upswings as well as the downswings. You just, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a roll of the dice. You just don't yeah. know. You could be catching a fallen knife for all you know. Right. And, you know, I think um, some advice from, you know, Mr. Warren Buffett can be taken. You know, I mean, if if you read anything that he puts out or, or follow him at all, you'll know that he is not a guy that times markets. Um, and he's, you know, the wealthiest investor in, in history, right? Um, so if a guy with that much experience in investing um, and, and wealth creation is saying, hey, look, you can never time the market. And he's echoing a lot of what you just said, right? Um, which is if you're in a position to buy and the asset that you're looking to buy fits for you and your timing, then it's, it's right to buy. Um, but trying to time you know, an up market or a down market, um, if the best of the best don't do it because they say they can't and, and legitimately they can't time it. I mean, they might have some educated guesses but they can't time it perfectly, then what's to say that, you know, the average layman, you know, uh, uh, you or I is going to be able to time the housing market on an upswing or a downswing. It's impossible. You're not going to be able to do it. Well, here's the other side. Uh, and I've talked to many business owners and investors uh, in, in multiple industries. You need to begin with the end in mind, right? You, what is your exit strategy? If you're timing the market, are you timing it because you plan to get out in three years? It, because you know this is a starter home and you have a time frame, and this is the time frame that you want to get out. Most people try to time the market because they want a good deal, but they're going to stay in the home. Their goal is to stay in the home for 20, 30 years. At that point, the deal doesn't matter because over time, just with inflation alone, you're going to get to a point where, you know, your price point was different. I remember, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. My parents remember they bought their home for like 120 grand in San Diego. My grandparents bought their home for 17,000. Like, you know, generationally these prices go up and, and over the long haul, like most investments, you're going to have an appreciating asset. So timing the market, fine. What is your exit strategy? What are you trying to do in this transaction? That timing is that vitally important. hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely nailed it. I mean, you gotta have a roof over your head, right? You gotta have a place to live and it, it makes more sense to own rather than rent. And in our market, that's very true. When you compare the cost of ownership versus the cost of renting over time, um, it makes more sense. And if you got to have a place to live, you may as well buy. There's, there's too many advantages not to. 100%. All right. Uh, last little segment here. Uh, I want to open up the floor for you to uh, let people know how they can get a hold of you uh, if they need to get their uh, their loan ready to go for a purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Instagram, um, my Instagram handle is VA Loan Guy, or you can connect with me on my website, which is VALoanGuy.us. And um, we'll get in touch with you, help you answer questions, you know, just love to consult and, and help people understand, you know, what options are available to them. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you again for being on the show. Um, you know, it it takes a lot. I, 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 you know, one thing that James mentioned in the intro, you have your own podcast, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah, an Arm and Ready podcast. And um, <clears throat> so that's a weekly podcast that I put out and focused, you know, primarily around veteran entrepreneurship. And um, so yeah. let me ask you, because, you know, it's not always or very often that I get a podcaster on the show. Uh, how has podcasting changed your business experience? It's changed it a lot. Um, 
in several respects. It hasn't changed it from like necessarily an increase in transactions. And I, and I, um, I say that a little bit in bated breath. I, I've gotten a couple because of it, um, but it's not like the show itself has spiked it. But what it has done is it's really created a lot more visibility around you know, what I do and what my passion is, which is supporting the military. And um, that has been great. It's introduced me to a lot of really cool people, um, you know, and in different walks of life that I never would have even thought of, you know, pursuing to have as a guest on the show. And it, um, it's, it's been really, really cool. Um, and it's, it's given people, you know, something else to, to talk about. You know, I, I feel like, you know, our social media has really evolved and the, to be able to really leverage social media, I think, you know, you gotta, you gotta give away the content. You know, I think for the longest time, people would hold their knowledge and everything close to the vest and um, you know, Oh, you gotta be a client to get my knowledge. You know, I, I think it's the reverse. I think you put it all out there, um, share it with everybody because this is your calling card. Now your social media presence, you know, and I think the, um, the podcast is, is a, is a part of that for me. And it's, it gives people the opportunity to, to get visibility into me and who I am and what my life is like, because as we boil down to our, our respective services that we provide, people are going to do business with who they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be pretty hard to just go on my website and get an amazing grasp of who I am and what I do and what I'm passionate about versus, you know, on social media where everybody is, um, you get, you get an inside look at that and to my family and what I'm up to and, and that type of thing and, and what my hobbies and interests are. And I think you get a real good perspective on people. And um, that's, that's the way of, of doing business going forward. And the podcast is um, just one big component of that for me from a, from a branding and, and uh, exposure perspective. So would, you, would it be a fair question to ask if, uh, if you were to start over today, if you were getting into a new business, how vital would a podcast be in your marketing strategy? I think it's big. Um, I think it's big. You're, you're always in any business, your network and your exposure to your brand is critical um, for your long-term success. And so I think it'd behoove anybody to do that. It's, it's the new medium for which people are finding entertainment also. You know I mean? People aren't tuning in to, NBC at 7 p.m. to watch their favorite show anymore. You know, I mean, if they've got a favorite show, it's recorded on their DVR and they skip through the commercials, right? Um, and most people now, you know, if they got a commute or they're working out or going for a run or something, you know, they're tuning into a podcast and they're they're trying to fill um, their head with more knowledge and more um, more good stuff that they can find that piques their interest. And so I think podcasts are a direct method to getting, you know, your message heard because people are looking for it. hundred percent. Um, and lately I've been trying, I I've, I've been part of a lot of podcasting groups and it's funny how people try to stick to a definition, even though it evolves. Uh, like for example, a podcast was traditionally audio only, but nowadays you're getting a little bit of everything. You're getting a little bit of video. You're getting a little bit of clips that we drop every once in a while. You're getting, uh, uh, these types of streamed, uh, live streamed interactions. Um, and I'm grouping them all together as a podcast. What, what have you been seeing as far as, uh, what a podcast is to you and, and how do you, how do you utilize it? 
Yeah, well, similar to you. I mean, so for my podcast, we also do the video piece as well. So um, it's great because it's it's something that continues to speak to audiences when you can't, right? All of us mm -hmm. need to sleep, right? And so I can't be speaking to people at 2 a.m. because I'm in bed. But I can still be speaking to them really through, you know, the video content or the recorded, you know, audio piece of the podcast. So it's a great way to always be present in front of your audience, whatever that is. And, and to your point, the podcast is always evolving. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that my podcast this time next year has a completely different feel to it and, and look to it than it does right now, um, just because of how it evolves. And I'm totally okay with that. Um, I, I think you need to be able to have some flexibility there. And I listen to other podcasts, you know, some of the big ones like Jim Rome and stuff. And, and, um, you know, they have some really cool content and some really cool guests and stuff on there, but it's, I mean, it's always different and yeah. it's always engaging and entertaining, but it's, it's not like they're sticking to this format, this bullet point format with every single show, you know, it, it, it the show allows itself to have a kind of its own creative freedom. And that's the, that's the whole beauty of having your own show is you can do whatever you want. You right. can frame it however you want. You can lay it out, ask whatever questions, say whatever you want to say, when you want to say it, how you want to say it. No FCC guidelines. It's pretty freaking awesome. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. I, I think it's, it's a great Avenue. And I, I think we're going to see more and more people start having their own podcasts. I, I think more people are starting to see the value in it. Absolutely. Which, uh, which reminds me, ladies and gents, I got an ebook out there, seven bucks, help you everything you need to get started in podcasting. And, uh, and the cool thing is I'm sure you can reach out to pretty much any podcaster out there. Jason, just as freely as he is willing to give away information right here on the show, I'm sure he'll reach out. You know, if you reach out to people like Jason as well, they'll share with you their experiences in podcasting. So Jason, again, thank you very much for being on the program, my friend. Uh, really appreciate your time and, uh, ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys today. Peace. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the business bros podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with pipeline insurance can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.